This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hammerich. Today on episode 15 of season three. This area of Nebraska, Wyoming, is, has not been a target for breeding programs for these pulse crops. And so in the past 10 years, there's been a lot of improvement in these varieties, much better varieties that are much better adapted, but there's still a long ways to go in that realm. If we can keep working on that breeding side of things, I think we're gonna see uh, continued success in pulse crops in both Nebraska, Wyoming. Dr. Cody Creech and Dr. Kerry Eberly join the show to talk about new frontiers for pulse crops in Nebraska and Wyoming. We'll explore where and how these crops are fitting into their rotations, the challenges of growing pulses in new areas, double cropping, water use efficiency, and more. Cody is a dryland cropping system specialist with University of Nebraska-Lincoln, located at the Panhandle Center in western Nebraska. He focuses on crops that can be grown without needing too much water, including soil water conservation, fertility, weed management, and ways to improve overall water use efficiency in western Nebraska. Kerry, at the time of this interview, was a cropping systems agronomist with the University of Wyoming, studying alternate crops for the region and looking at sustainable farming practices. Now, since the time this interview took place, which was back in January, she's since gone on to work for the USDA ARS as an agroecologist located in Morris, Minnesota. Cody's going to kick off our conversation by setting the scene with the historical importance of dry beans in Nebraska and the emergence of pulse crops like field peas and chickpeas. Dry beans are still an important crop for many of our irrigated acres out here. In fact, you know, Western Nebraska is still uh, number one in Great Northern bean production in the U.S. As well as I think we're still about third in pinto bean production. So it's still a really important rotational crop for our irrigated acres out here. Where we are seeing the uh, pulse crops like uh, field peas or chickpeas, uh, those are going in mostly on our dryland acres or the dryland corners on a pivot is where we're seeing those acres. And uh, the total acreage on those crops has gone up and down a bit over the years. So that's kind of where we've been doing the most of our work lately is in those uh, field peas and chickpeas. And what has been causing sort of the fluctuation in acres? Is it people that, for whatever reason, it's not working in their system and so they're they're trying something new? Well, for the chickpeas, uh, acreage was increasing on our chickpeas in the early 2000s. And then uh, the growers had a couple of years of really bad asca kind of blight. And uh, that really kind of soured them and they kind of quit growing it, honestly. And then on the field pea side, I think our biggest restriction was just access to a market. And so it wasn't until about 2012 when we had a local business decide to start to uh, receive peas. And that kind of opened the floodgates for growers to actually start to grow peas on a, a much higher acreage basis because they had a place to take them. Gotcha. And Kerry, what about in Wyoming? Uh, are we looking at kind of that eastern part of the state, Wheatland area, or is it more kind of the central part of the state like Riverton or both that might look at pulse crops? It's more the southeastern part of the state. So down in Laramie County, which is near Cheyenne. That's where the majority of our dryland winter wheat production is for the state. And that's where we are seeing our farmers start to experiment with putting some of these pulse crops in their dryland rotation. And talk about that experiment, if you don't mind. What, what does that look like for them? Kind of what was the old way and what is this way they're trying to see if it might work with pulses? Yeah, so the old way would just be your standard winter wheat fallow rotation with no other crop in there. 
And then farmers started to put some millets in or dryland corn or sunflower to try and diversify that rotation, especially with some of the weed issues that have been growing recently with herbicide resistance to keep their fields clean. And I think they've started looking at pulse crops for a couple reasons. One, I do have a few organic producers who are working with them. And so that nitrogen credit is one big thing that they're looking for. And then I feel like what back in 17, the chickpea market went crazy and (laughs) the prices were really high for that crop. I may have the year wrong. And wheat prices have just been really low. And so they see opportunity to try and capitalize on something and have made some efforts to do that. All of the farmers I know are growing on contract, so they already have a a location to take it to after they have produced that crop. And Cody had mentioned Askekaida there. Is is that the big challenge that they're asking you all for help with, or uh, what what are some of the barriers to making that work in the, uh, the Wyoming system? I think for the Wyoming system, our farmers are mostly looking to understand if the crop is going to work for them. So there's questions just about growing in the region and, you know, when they should plant, how they harvest, what their populations look like. There's a lot of questions around weed control in those crops. And then the other big challenge for our farmers is always access to markets. So Wyoming is pretty isolated from everything. So trying to build in a place that they can just haul a crop to is a difficult thing. So in some ways, those farmers down in the Cheyenne area kind of piggyback on what the Nebraska farmers are doing right across the state line. So if they have access to a pea market, then we can kind of capitalize on them having that opportunity in their locations. Gotcha. And Cody, how about for you all in Nebraska? Uh, what other issues? You know, we've we've talked about Askakaida a lot in previous episodes of the show. Obviously, it's a big one. Markets, another one that that's coming up. What other challenges are there to growing these peas, chickpeas, lentils in your area? For us, the past few years, it's been interesting because our field pea acreage has really been hurt by some early season heat that we've been getting, and you know, kind of that flowering period of the peas. And, and when we get that, our yields have just really tanked on us. And and with a new crop like this, it doesn't take many years of farmers not getting good yields where they start to question if this is something they want to keep doing. It's kind of been disappointing to see some of those struggles these past two years where yields have taken a big hit because of some uh, early season heat. On the chickpea acreage, I think the challenge there is is it's a little bit longer season crop compared to to a field peas. Field peas is really nice because it's short season. It goes in in March and comes out in July, um, really similar to wheat, whereas the chickpeas has a little bit longer growing season. And uh, a lot of our farmers like to be able to get that pulse crop off and get that winter wheat crop established behind it in September. And so uh, just kind of that, that rotation issue of getting back to winter wheat kind of favors field peas a little bit over chickpeas. Um, but we've been battling the, the heat the last few years, and uh, hopefully that doesn't continue going forward. And any lentils trying to be grown in, in either of your areas? 
we do have the occasional producer that will kind of try it out and dabble in it a bit. I wouldn't say it's a really gained a foothold here yet, but there's always seems like there's a grower here or there that wants to try it out. Yeah, I would agree with that. In Wyoming, I know of, I think, two growers who have tried it in different years, but it's definitely not as common as peas. That tends to be the pulse crop that most of them are going to go with if they're going to diversify that rotation. Gotcha. And for the uh, field peas and the chickpeas, can you give us a sense of kind of acreage in each of your areas? Uh, Because a lot of people listening are going to be in the Dakotas and they're going to be in Montana and Washington state and Idaho. uh, And they're looking at Wyoming and Nebraska as like, okay, you know, are these states becoming more significant players in growing, you know, these crops? Can you give us a sense of that trajectory? Yeah. So for Wyoming, we are kind of hovering around a thousand acres of chickpeas and right around a thousand acres of peas. And then our lentil acres bounce around a little bit. I think in 2019, NAS had them at about 90 acres and then only three acres last year. So still really pretty small acreage going into those crops in Wyoming. Yeah, and out here in Nebraska, the chickpeas in the early 2000s, we got it up to about 10,000 acres. And then that acetate of light hit, and it's really dropped down below 1,000 acres uh, after that. But recently, we've, we've probably been bouncing between 1,000 to 10,000 acres here in western Nebraska. And then as far as the field peas uh, go, prior to 2012, we were sitting just like at 1,000 acres here, 1,000 acres there, it seems like. And then since uh, 2012, we've been pretty consistent around 40 to 60,000 acres in Nebraska. Seems like uh, as the years go on, the pea acres keep creeping east a little bit into some of that soybean country, which also has a little bit higher yielding uh, top end, I guess, as well. We've, we've done some work in eastern Nebraska where the peas have done well. And I think we'll continue to see the peas kind of spread east uh, in the future as well. Okay. Interesting. And and how does that conversation go if if you have um, a farmer that approaches, you know, either one of you and says, you know, I I think pulse crops might be a good addition to my my rotation, primarily growing wheat or whatever the case may be. You know, what considerations are you helping them walk through to see if it might be right for them? And in which cases might it be right and might it not be? Yeah, one of the big concerns that our producers have is uh, with their herbicide rotations, especially if they have a pretty diverse crop rotation. Uh, There's a lot of limitations on what they can use in the crop previous to field peas. And so uh, walking through with them kind of what their rotation is or what they want it to be and then what their herbicide program will be for that crop is going to be important. We see a lot of folks going to it just because they want to diversify that crop rotation even further beyond, you know, if they're wheat fallow or wheat corn fallow and they want to throw another crop in there. Or a big driver, I would say, is that, uh, you know, fallow is just a really inefficient uh, way to try to store soil water. And so we want to increase our precipitation use efficiency out here. And one way we can do that is growing that spring crop that's going to capture that precipitation and use it rather than just watch it be evaporated over the course of the year. And so although 
Growing field peas may reduce our wheat yield a little bit or reduce some of our other crop yields because it's using that uh, some water. Uh, we actually see our precipitation use efficiency go up uh, by removing that fallow period from our rotation. And so in Nebraska, I would say that's probably the biggest driver as far as why people are kind of looking at it or going towards it. And then if they can figure out their a weed control plan, that's uh, probably the other big hurdle to uh, get over. Yeah. So I guess in Wyoming, when I talk to growers, I start a little a little more simply in my question, which usually I start with market. And if they have a buyer for the product and what they're planning to do with it, because we do have some limitations out there. And I don't want people to get too excited about growing a crop if they don't actually have their product stream figured out. So we start there. And then because we have so few growers who work with these crops, I tend to talk a little bit more about the basics around the crop. So what kind of practices they need for planting to make them successful, things to look at as far as seed handling. And then I have some really great materials from the Pulse Crop Working Group on diseases and insect pressures. And so I try and go over a lot of that with our growers in terms of what they need to look out for and how to kind of treat and balance those types of problems that are pretty common in growing any types of pulses. Sure. Yeah. No, this is great. A few different directions I want to go in to follow up here, but maybe a good place to start is uh, let's talk more about precipitation use efficiency and the trade offs between what you're seeing and how pulses might impact wheat yield. Uh, you, you kind of alluded to that, Cody. Could you maybe dive deeper into that as far as how you could maybe improve your precipitation use efficiency, which I like that term. I, I have never used it before, but I like it. And what might be the potential risk to the yield of the wheat? Yeah, so we've been looking at this for a while now because, of course, on dryland acres, the water and the precipitation is the most important stuff we have to uh, yield well. And a fallow field is only able to store about 25, 30% of its water that it receives in precipitation. The rest of it just evaporates. And so it's not very efficient. Now, if we grow a field pea crop in place of some of that fallow period, what we're seeing is that precipitation use efficiency, or basically the amount of water that's moving through a plant instead of just evaporating, goes up to closer to 40% or 45%. So we would much rather put that water through a plant than we would to just have it evaporate. And so um, that's uh, something that really intrigues producers. But what we're seeing though is if from that time that that field pea crop is harvested in July to when we plant the winter wheat in September, if we don't get any meaningful rain during that period to kind of help to replenish some of that soil moisture, we are seeing a yield hit to our, our winter wheat crop. And if we look at the soil water difference there, it's about a six bushel hit for every inch of water that we lose that is not replenished. And so um, that's something that uh, producers are concerned about. Most, most years we don't see much of a hit because we do get enough rain that re helps to replenish that soil water uh, so that the wheat can get a good start. But we, on occasion, we do have a year where we are dry enough that we will see a pretty significant hit to our winter wheat yields. And that is a big concern to us. Most recently, I believe it was uh, the 20, 
20 growing season, our wheat crop that wherever we had wheat behind field peas, uh, we probably had a, about a 20 bushel hit to our wheat yields two years ago. So that's a big concern. It's, it's hard to predict when that's going to happen, but that's something that we are definitely watching out for. Great. And uh, Carrie, you had mentioned earlier that one of the things driving interest in pulses in Wyoming is from organic producers. Are you seeing more organic acres go into Wyoming? And if so, is this uh, becoming more the norm for those producers to include pulses? We are seeing a increase in organic wheat acres. Um, I think over the last 10 years, We've seen those acres increase by, I want to say, 60%. But definitely the organic production in Wyoming has increased. And as those organic wheat producers are continuing to you know, farm their lands and work on their rotations, they're trying to identify other crops that can be profitable for them. So... Yes, we have seen the organic growers interested in these crops, but the conventional growers are also interested as well. So it's not specifically the organic guys, but they do have some interest in it. Very cool. Are you seeing anything different? I know uh, Cody talked about it already a little bit, but as far as the impact on wheat yields um, with, with incorporating these pulses? Well, we're not quite as far along as Cody is in Nebraska with our production of these pulse crops. So I don't have great numbers on how the wheat is impacted. From some research that I've done with my one graduate student, what we saw is that our peas do draw down the soil moisture quite significantly. But like Cody said, because they come off so much earlier, in our work, we've been able to see that soil moisture recharge. So having that longer time period between taking the, the pea off and putting the wheat back in. With chickpeas, we've actually seen that they use less water. So they use the water a little later into the season, but as far as how much they need to produce a crop, their total water use seems to be lower from what we've found so far. So both of those allow a little bit of flexibility for producers um, trying to capture that, would you say, Cody, precipitation use efficiency of the system. And we've been trying to help understand how that does impact the rotation, which is Cody and I have a project coming up that's really trying to look at that water balance in the system and how integrating a pulse crop into that wheat fallow rotation versus, say, a traditional cover crop is going to change our water balance as well as our overall productivity of the system. So looking a little bit bigger picture and more long term in terms of what a producer may expect to see if they do commit to diversifying that rotation with a pulse crop. And is that project, uh, is that happening this growing season, this coming year, or uh, what's the status of that? Because that's really interesting. Yes, that project will be starting this spring, and it's a long-term project, so it'll go for at least the next five years. Yeah, that's probably one of the things that's been 
well, this project's really exciting about is it is five years um, because we've done some short-term work where maybe just a single year, you know, where we've compared a pulse crop to a fallow period. And yes, we do see benefits to soil health parameters when we have the pulse crop growing versus just a fallow period. We see more biological activity in the soil. We see better water infiltration. That's just for a single point in time. And what this project is really looking to do is to look at over a series of years, does that uh, impact of beneficial uh, soil health parameters, does that continue to increase? Does it plateau? And kind of what's that long-term impact of including a pulse crop in the rotation? Okay. Cool. Well, um, uh, Audrey had shared with me a couple of papers that uh, you had been a part of, Cody, and Carrie, maybe you've worked on this as well, but on double cropping pulses. Can you maybe talk about that and what you've looked at and what results you've seen? Yeah, and so that work came out of trying to look to where we can push these field peas to. Can they go east um, into the soybean country? And so this work was done clear on the eastern side of the state where Again, we got to try to break into that soybean corn rotation. And the thought was, is if we can position field peas as a potential crop that can be double cropped, that uh, it would be far more likely to take off compared to if we just try to say, yes, you can grow field peas. And so we did this work to see what we could put behind field peas in eastern Nebraska and, and still get really good yields. And then also to make sure that it's a economical viable option. And so we looked at uh, growing field peas and then we followed it with corn, soybeans, uh, sunflowers, grain sorghum, and then a bunch of forage crops. And so we had a, a pretty much any option you could think of going behind. And some of them worked better than others. Corn and soybeans, uh, we just didn't have enough growing season to really get them to do very well. Whereas Grain sorghum, we had a really good yields with the grain sorghum, uh, close to 100 bushel uh, grain sorghum behind field peas. We had uh, the forage crops, we had cover crops and forage crops like sorghum and things that just did fantastic, put on a lot of biomass. So it kind of proved that, yes, we can grow field peas in eastern Nebraska. They yield very, very well, much better than out in western Nebraska because of the amount of rainfall that they get. Then if a producer is able to get in quickly and get a, a second crop planted behind, depending on what they're after, you know, whether it's a forage, they can get a lot of forage behind field peas. And then they can also get um, you know, grain sorghum and some of these other crops to uh, do well. So I think going forward, the next step would be to try to explore ways that we can get corn or soybeans to work behind the field peas better. But there's a lot of interest in it in eastern Nebraska, partially because they have actually closer access or better access to some of these plant protein markets that we don't have access to in Western Nebraska. And on that markets point, because that's come up a few times, has there been any analysis done on like how close is this region, this Western Nebraska, Eastern Wyoming region, to it making sense to put some sort of like processing plant there? I think we're really close. There have been a few companies that have looked at it as a possibility, but we just haven't had anyone kind of take that leap of faith, I guess. In the early days of 2012, when that uh, company started to take peas out here, uh, they were primarily taking those peas to split them so that they would be split peas and marketed as split peas. Now that we've had this plant protein market has started to take off a little bit, 
We do have some processors in eastern Nebraska that uh, are in that uh, area. And we do actually have some producers in west central Nebraska and maybe the, the eastern part of the panhandle now that are shipping their peas to eastern Nebraska to that plant protein market. They're able to get a little bit of a premium that's enough to cover the trucking to get it out there. And so it's something that we definitely want to, uh, you know, we're watching. We're hoping that it'll continue to uh, grow. You know, it's estimated that that plant protein market is going to just uh, explode over the next 10 years, of course. And so um, having our producers uh, positioned to participate in that market is important to us. And hopefully, if we can continue to consistently produce peas in this Nebraska area and, and into Wyoming, that we can attract somebody, a company that will set up shop here in this area. Great. Well, this is, we've really covered a lot of ground. This has been a lot of fun. Um, what didn't we get to that you'd like to mention before I let you go or anything that we talked about that maybe we ought to dive a little bit deeper into? Carrie, I'll give you the first shot at those questions. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, I think we've covered, at least for our area in Wyoming, we've really covered what we know at this point. I think, just like I said, Wyoming is is always a little or a few steps behind where Nebraska is just because we have a little less access to certain resources, a little more difficulty in adopting new practices. So as far as the pulses go, as Cody alluded to, research-wise, we really want to set up our producers to be able to be successful as those plant protein markets do continue to grow. And at this point, it's really just about trying to get them good information to help them successfully grow these crops in this region. And while it is beyond my expertise, hopefully be able to work with them on finding and market opportunities. Awesome. All right, Cody, you're going to get the last word, it sounds like. Sounds good. Yeah, I think uh, for our producers in Nebraska, the area where I think we're going to see the best growth and and hopefully that's really going to help them is on the breeding side of things. Uh, This area of Nebraska, Wyoming, has not been a target for breeding programs for these pulse crops. And so in 2012, when field peas really took off out here, we were pulling varieties out of the Dakotas bringing them down and just crossing our fingers and hoping that they would do well. In the past 10 years, there's been a lot of improvement in these varieties. If you look at what we were growing, you know, 10 years ago compared to now, much better varieties that are much better adapted, but there's still a long ways to go in that realm. Um, Same thing with the winter peas. You know, I'm really hopeful that we can get that to work. Again, we just need to have some efforts on the breeding side of things so we can deliver to our producers really good varieties that are going to be winter hardy, that are going to tolerate the heat that we get in June and uh, yield well. And so if we can keep working on that breeding side of thing going forward, I think we're going to see uh, continued success in pulse crops in both Nebraska, Wyoming. But um, I'm really excited to see what the future holds uh, with that, as well as this project that Carrie and I are going to be working on to hopefully over the next few years, deliver some good answers and and, uh, guidance to uh, producers out here. Well, we are excited for all of that as well. Thank you so much to Dr. Cody Creech and Dr. Kerry Eberly for joining us on the show today. We'll make sure we include some links in the show notes into their work if you'd like to learn more. 
And make sure you're a subscriber to the Growing Pulse Crops podcast so you don't miss our next episode about Sanfoin, a perennial pulse crop being developed by Brandon Schlotman at the Land Institute. We really envision that this Sanefoin supply chain can get started using existing, often publicly available varieties that are hitting that five to 800 pounds per acre range, assuming there's going to be at a premium for this product over something like lentils in general. Once again, make sure you're subscribed to the show on your podcast platform of choice so you catch that upcoming episode as well. The Growing Pulse Crops podcast series is overseen by the Pulse Crops Working Group with funding from the North Central IPM Center, USDA NIFA, the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, and the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Program. We're releasing two of these episodes every month throughout the growing season, and we only have one left but we want to make sure it all stays relevant to you. So if you're finding it useful, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or both. And feel free to tweet us by using the hashtag growingpulsecrops. We'll be back with our final episode of this season in a couple weeks.